0: This is the Change Management podcast by the University of South Wales. My name is Mark Jackson, Director of South Wales Business School and Co-Director of the Intensive Learning Academy Leading Digital Transformation at the University. In Season 4 we're exploring the concept of digital transformation, how it can apply to organisations and how it works in practice. We discuss how digital transformation can help any organisation become an agile one. In this episode, we will discuss how clinical and digital strategy are brought together using the National Clinical Framework. We will cover the importance of good clinical engagement and the use of design principles as an approach to informing strategy and how informaticians play a key role in facilitating this. Welcome to our guest, Alan Wardow. Alan is Interim Clinical Programme Director of the National Clinical Framework. Hi, Alan.
1: Hi, thanks very much, Mark. It's a delight to be asked to contribute to this podcast, so hopefully I can enlighten you a little bit on what we're up to in health and care as respect to digital.
0: Thank you very much for your time. So let's start off with really, uh, we're conscious of our audience, so perhaps it would be good to just start about what you mean by digital in terms of your own background and your own understanding of the term.
1: Yeah, good question. It's a small word, but a big meaning. And the meaning continues to evolve, I think, in, in my understanding. When I started my clinical career, or or at least this part of my clinical career, a couple of decades ago, it was IT. Uh, That's what people referred to, Um, and the the term digital seems to have become more prominent in recent years. Uh, But that's welcome, because I think for me, I did have an IT interest at the beginning of my career, because I was a bit gadgety, and you know, I, I wanted to have gadgets that helped me in my work and helped me understand what was happening to patients. But as I acquired experience, I realised that it wasn't IT, it was about digital technology. And actually, the really important part of that digital technology was about data. So it was enabling the collection of data, and uh, both from patients and from clinical interactions, and turning that data into information and knowledge.
0: Okay. And that, that information and knowledge is for what benefit?
1: So, I mean, there's two lenses, possibly even three lenses to look at that through. One is in terms of individual patient care. So recording uh, what's happening, recording what you're doing, interrogating existing sources of knowledge to understand what's happening with patients. So that individual care lens. But then there's also the whole system lens, or at least the whole service lens. So my clinical career was in paediatric intensive care. So I wanted to understand what was happening to all of the patients in paediatric intensive care uh, and maybe some of the patients that hadn't come to paediatric intensive care yet, but I I might need to, to know about. And then there's also the requirement for other people involved in planning and delivering the service to understand what's happening to patients, who our patients are, how long they're likely to stay, what interventions they need. So that planning and analytics space.
0: That's great. So that leads us really well then, I think, to the National Clinical Framework. So can you perhaps tell us more about the background, the context of that and what it aims to do?
1: Yeah, sure. So about four years ago now, the Health Service in Wales produced a strategy document called A Healthier Wales. One of the actions in that document was to produce a so-called National Clinical Plan for specialist services. So the Chief Medical Officer recruited myself and a couple of colleagues because they wanted that plan to be clinically informed and clinically led, not something top down, so to speak. So it's now called a National Clinical Framework purposely because we thought that it was a bad idea to create a top down plan. And in fact, you can't really do that for a nationwide service. And also, the concept of specialist elements of that service being singled out to be treated differently wasn't in keeping with the breadth of the strategy. The strategy is really about joining up health and social care, breaking down traditional boundaries within health and between health and social care and the wider public sector. So that's why we advised and were given permission to develop a national clinical framework instead. So what what the framework seeks to do is it describes a model for building a so-called learning health and care system. So this is about translating or recording what we do in clinical practice as data, so practice to data. Having done that, turning that data to information and knowledge, and then using that knowledge to re-inform and redesign the pathways through which we deliver care. So that's quite an easy concept to understand, but it's a very complex system and it's going to be a 10-year journey to get that model into effect. But the whole model is dependent on having a much more mature ability to collect data and that requires digital technology to do, a more mature way of storing and sharing that data, making it available for reuse through application program interfaces and that, that sort of open architecture environment and having a conceptual single national data resource for health and social care and drawing on information in other public sector databases. It really moves us into a population health sphere. And of course, Wales is a relatively small country, so actually it's doable. The the scale for a country of three, three and a half million people makes this doable with the technology we have at the moment. It's just a requirement of having the the political will, both with a big P and a small P, to make that happen. I think the important thing to understand, I suppose, is that what we've tried to do is to marry up digital strategy and clinical strategy as the same thing. They're completely intertwined. You can't separate one from the other. And digital is often described as an, an enabler for improved health and care. It's more than just that. It's actually fundamental. We can't build this learning health and care system model without having good digital technology.
0: That's fantastic. So, so what are the key success factors in getting us to that point where we're starting to see progress?
1: You use the phrase key success factors. Some of the important factors are, aren't necessarily success. They're things that have failed in the past. And it's the learning that we take from that uh, that I think have been some of the important factors that have got us to where we are at the moment. So there's two or three things that I'd just like to mention in that respect. The national programme for IT was a very ambitious, big, expensive national programme in England, in the NHS, um, over a decade ago now, which sought to digitise the whole health service in England. Some aspects of it worked, most aspects of it didn't. And there was a report published in 2016, uh, the the Wachter report, looking at what lessons could be learned from the failure in that programme. And that was very important. That kind of set the agenda for what we've tried to take forward in Wales over the, the last five or six years. So important lessons were the need for clinical engagement. So you can't just introduce digital technology, you've got to engage the clinical staff with that technology, the concept that implementing some digital solution is just the start of the process. So in the words of the report, go live is the beginning, not the end. So, you know, when you've got your go live date, you're only then just starting your journey. And then there's a concept which we've embraced in Wales and has been embraced across the UK um, as well, is the, the one of adaptive change. So when you introduce new digital technology solutions into healthcare, staff aren't just digitising existing processes, existing ways of doing things and existing workflows. They're actually encouraged to use the new technology to redesign the way that they're providing services, to think about it in a different way and not be hamstrung by the the necessities of a paper-based world. So so that was a really important report. Although that was about England, the lessons were absolutely relevant to Wales. And we've had our own significant issues in Wales. There were a couple of very critical and important, uh, I mean critical as in they were criticisms, of the slow pace at which digital technology had been introduced into health and care in Wales. Uh, The Wales Audit Office reports and the Public Accounts Committee's reports of 2018 Similar themes emerged from those reports, and they spawned very useful architecture reviews, so meaning the digital architecture for health and care in Wales, and how projects and programmes were going to be implemented. So it's a move away from big, monolithic systems into a more agile environment, where what becomes important is thinking about the data, but making that data available through APIs. In a more open architecture you can develop the so-called application layer of these solutions much more quickly in a much more agile way meaning agile in the, the digital technology sense and that should accelerate our ability to harness and develop digital technology and in the final uh, reports so we that out of sequence but it was always in the background the Westminster government said uh, government digital services uh, GDS in the the late noughties, early part of the 2010s, they really led the way on that agile approach and that open architecture type approach. And they showed how agile working, embracing user-centered design and user experience at the beginning and doing small iterative things rather than big, monolithic, so-called waterfall type program implementations was the way to do things. So I, I think those three things together really helped consolidate some shared learning, and they've been key in bringing together a community of so-called clinical informaticians in Wales. So these are people that have studied and understand these documents and courses like the ILA exist to educate people um, in this manner, and we're able to help bridge the gap between the technical knowledge, the people with the technical knowledge in the health and care system, and the people with the managerial and clinical knowledge, and help foster a much more productive conversation.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. I'm conscious lots of the things you cited there were pre-COVID. Yes. So in terms of our engagement with digital in the last couple of years, have you seen, have, th- have things accelerated or have things changed or been adapted in the last couple of years?
1: COVID certainly provided an imperative for many things that we'd intended doing and and those relate to making it easier for patients to receive information or to receive their care in a remote setting. Uh, So not having to uh, attend a hospital setting and likewise for people within the service to work from home. So it, it certainly accelerated that. I think we benefited from some of those lessons that I've just talked about. So if I use an example um, that I I was involved in, lucky enough to be involved in, and that was the implementation of video consultation across Wales. So that was a joint effort, an arm's length organisation called Tech Cymru, hosted by one of our health boards, working together with the National Wales Informatics Service, as it was then, and, and Welsh Government, and the health boards, to do a proper implementation. I, I use that word rather than rollout out because it, it was an implementation. We had an understanding of what video consultations might offer because pre-COVID had been piloted by Tech Cymru in a particular area. And they'd done some research about its use in Scotland and Australia. So we were able, we saw COVID coming. And we didn't have much notice, but we had a few weeks where we thought there's something happening here. So a few of us got together and prepared the ground, so to speak. So we primed health boards to say, here are some of the technical requirements that we might have for a video consultation uh, solution. And here are some of those adaptive change things that we might need to think about in advance. So we were able to prepare the ground. And then the way that the, the implementation was handled used that agile methodology from government digital services that I referred to. And so we were able to, to work in a, a much more productive way, I think, with across health boards and in partnership with government. And we were able to deliver the functionality far more quickly and effectively than I think any of us imagined would have been possible. Um, you know, so by the end of 2020, virtual consultation was uh, being extremely widely used in many settings that we didn't expect it, it would be used. And this is uh, going to have ongoing benefits, particularly for patients in rural areas. It's got environmental benefits. And an important part of the the implementation programme was to continue to evaluate how it was being effective, where it was being effective. And were there areas where we didn't expect it to work and it was? Were there other areas where we thought it would be a huge success and it wasn't? I'm trying to learn from that.
0: And can you give examples of that?
1: one that immediately comes to mind for me was dentistry. I didn't imagine for any length of time at all that there would be any interest from the dental community in virtual (laughs) consultation. And in fact, there was huge uh, interest from the, the dental community. And indeed, some of the other high street settings for health and care were extremely interested in getting involved. But the other thing that took me by surprise is that because we had an imperative to get the tech side sorted out make sure that we had computers that were actually capable of running this technology but because the covid imperative was there we had to as organizations get that stuff in place that's often been an obstacle historically because it's quite hard to do that it's often quite expensive mm-hmm. you know there's a legacy of inadequate investment in in that baseline technology so that helped drive it forward i think the other thing we were able to do is to demonstrate that there were some uh, specialties that the position or the need for video consultation was much more prominent than it was in others. It's a very, very broad statement, but in the mental health arena, there's very good uptake. There's quite high percentages of consultations taking place through video consultation, whereas some of the surgical specialties, not so much. And we're able, we were able to compare data with England, uh, other parts of the UK. To, and we're starting, I mean, it's, it's only uh, now that we're starting to understand some of the patterns emerging from that. So what, what we were able to do and, and help in partnership with government was to say, look, don't set meaningless targets for, you know, we are now going to do 70% of consultations by video. Rather, we're learning. So we could almost tell you where there are opportunities to build and develop this and where there's maybe still work to do. And there might be some use cases, so to speak, that it just doesn't work for. So I suppose what I'm trying to say, perhaps clumsily, is we're moving away from a one-size-fits-all model, which has tended to predominate in the digital sphere. We've seen something at the shops. This will do for everyone. Just roll it out and move to an environment where we say, well, we've been to the shops. Does this thing exist? We think it will work. But we're not sure. But let's start to implement it and find out and support and encourage that learning and evaluation process as we go.
0: Because you talked about a 10 year plan. Of course, technology in 10 years time will supersede everything that we're working on now anyway.
1: Absolutely. And that's another important reason why we went for a framework rather than a plan. I was conscious at very early days in developing it. I was conscious of an adage in the informatics community that there's not much point in looking further than two to three years into the future because you can't know what the digital landscape is going to look like there because the rate of change is so rapid. So actually it becomes important to have a set of operating principles and maybe a target operating model that you can uh, fit these new emerging technologies and new capabilities into because it is very difficult to predict what will happen.
0: Yeah. So rather than ask where do you think we'll be in five years' time, where do you hope we'll actually get to?
1: Wales is a small country, as as I said before. It means that we're close to government, and so that gives us some advantages. It's a small country, but it's big enough to do something at, at reasonable scale. And as long as we work in partnership with uh, government and some of the arm's length organisations, I think there's potential to do things really well in Wales. So I'm, I'm optimistic, provided that we're sensible and we take on board and continue to keep on board the lessons from those critical reports that I talked about earlier. I mean, the adage that springs to mind, there's the Bill Gates adage that you're you're maybe familiar with, which is the tendency that we have to overestimate what's possible in digital technology in the course of a year and underestimate what's possible in the course of a decade. And, and I think that's true. I, I've certainly seen I recognise that from my own career. I think in, say, the next five years, If, and it's a big if, if we've invested and if we use that investment to develop the national data resource in Wales for health and care and use an open architecture approach and avoid the temptation to be too much top down, the phrase once for Wales gets used a lot and it's problematic sometimes. Once for Wales should be about the data and the information standards and the technical standards and making that data appropriately available to those who need it to be reused, to to be shared and and learned from. If we do that, then I think in five years time, we will actually have built the foundation of a learning health and care system. So what that will look like to a patient is rather than interacting all the time face to face with a clinician, sometimes it will be remote in real time. Sometimes it will be remote in the sense that patients will have wearable devices or be recording on a digital device, uh, symptoms or, or outcome measures, and those will be assessed remotely. They might trigger an invitation for an appointment. When you do have an interaction with a clinician, that interaction will be, it will feel different, I think, to patients because they'll it'll be clinicians telling the patients what they already know about them and just asking them to, to confirm that rather than rehashing the same story, which is, I, th- I think, an experience that many of us continue to have when we're accessing healthcare. And then when it comes to diagnostics, interventions, that, you know, what we actually do to make lives better for patients, that will be informed not just by data that comes from specially designed research studies, but it'll actually be informed by outcome data from the clinicians that are providing those services. So you know, they'll be able to tell patients what the expected outcomes are, what the recovery times are based on real data collected on a, an ongoing basis uh, and I, I think the other thing that might look different from that patient and user experience is it'll become really important for them to record their outcomes and record their experiences because that's a key part of that learning health system we need to start to understand much better how we can deliver value-based healthcare. And in order to understand that, we need to know that the things that we do that we think are making patients' lives better actually are making patients' lives better. So it's not just a question of the operation being a technical success, but the operation being a technical success and making a meaningful difference to the patient's life. And we know there's a a body of research to say that you can't collect that type of information readily in a paper-based format. It needs to be digital. And it's also, once it's in a digital format, it's much easier to do something with and to to visualise and understand.
0: That's fantastic. Alan, thank you so much. That's been a fascinating oversight on the whole framework and everything you've been working on. If you would like to hear more about the Change Management Podcast, please don't forget to follow. Thanks for listening and thank you to our guest, Alan Wardow. To find out more about this podcast and our business services at USW, visit southwales.ac.uk forward slash business.